Today we're going to be talking about hypocrisy. You know, Jesus uses the word hypocrite eight times in Matthew 23. Jesus says this. Think about that. He calls teachers hypocrites. I mean, that's offensive and hurtful. Jesus did this. Called them other things. Jesus was repetitive about hypocrisy. About how it's not good. He was intentional. He was directly rebuking teachers. Hypocrisy in teachers was a definite problem to Jesus. But why? Hopefully by the end of this episode, you can have a better understanding as to why hypocrisy is a problem for Christians. It is completely normal to feel uncomfortable facing truth within ourselves, within our groups, within our family. There will always be truth we don't want to hear because it is very uncomfortable to hear it. I have found that in my own walk, I grow sort of relatively to the amount of truth I'm ready and willing to hear. It helps to ponder the question, can this be real? Can this be true? And consider it rather than quickly dismiss it. Jesus said a lot of controversial things to teachers and others. And many of them did not want to hear what he had to say. Within us all exists some kind of hypocrisy. Yet we can always improve in truth and in sincerity if we choose to do it. First, what is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy in the Bible means to pretend or be fake. It's putting up false front with others. It's saying one thing and then doing another. It's like smiling when we feel horrible inside, like wearing a mask. It's insincerity. It's being emotionally dishonest. It's teaching about love and God when the teacher doesn't even feel love nor God. One huge danger in the regular practice, if we're practicing dishonesty on a regular basis, is that slowly over time it can become our identity, who we are. It can become what we do. We can learn to do it without even thinking. It can become an automatic response where we really don't know how to not do it. When we do things that require little to no conscious effort, it can occur below our awareness. We could become dishonest people. The New Testament of the Bible was written in Greek, and the definition for the Greek word of hypocrite means a two-faced person, dissembler, pretender. This is according to BibleHub.com. The Greek opposite of hypocrite is anupokritos, meaning sincere behavior from hidden agendas, selfish motives, literally without hypocrisy, unfeigned. When I walk into a store, I can be treated with a smile and a friendly hello. Someone can even offer to help me find whatever it is I'm looking for. This is the same sort of welcome I have received in my church experiences. Sometimes during the service, I can get directed to a get-to-know-you card, instructed to fill it out so I can get connected to people. I have even filled that out and then experienced no response, no connection. No one called, emailed, or texted. It's sad how disconnected some churches can be from people. I believe Jesus saw right through this sort of disconnection. And in order for Jesus to even see through this disconnection or identify such a problem, there would be some kind of evaluation. Are churches evaluating themselves? 
for how well they're being sincere with each other, how honest they're being in the church lobby or during the church service? Are they being emotionally honest, spiritually right during worship? And is the church teaching how to do this? Something to think about. I think it ought to be talked about it. I mean, Jesus focused on it. The system that we have, it's an error. It's always been an error. Jesus called it out. It's all over the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation. The problems have not disappeared. It's still a mess. The teachers are off and hypocrisy or lack of righteousness or sincerity is the problem. Love, truth, being just, abiding in God with all our solutions. John 15:13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. This great love is a tall order. Jesus not only described this, but demonstrated it. If Jesus is our God, then we ought to at least keep it within our consciousness that this is the sort of love we ought to be pursuing to develop it within us. We ought to be examining ourselves and evaluating. Are we growing? Is God really within my thoughts, within my focus? Am I pursuing God? How am I pursuing God? This is how we ought to live. It's per the instructions in the Bible. If we are not applying ourselves to grow toward this love, perhaps Jesus just isn't our God. I mean, intellectually, we might tell ourselves, oh yeah, Jesus. But are we honestly, sincerely devoting ourselves each day to pursue being with and like Jesus, to abide in Jesus in our mind and heart? Are we doing that? Are we getting better at it? Are we seeing where we can improve and walking towards that direction? It's how the Bible says to do it all the way through. Wouldn't it be hypocrisy to proclaim Jesus as their everything and then in everything be self-seeking? Matthew 23, 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Exclamation point. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in it. Think about that. Jesus is saying that these teachers shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You see, crowds follow teachers and leaders. It's always the person on the stage with the microphone. Even if that performer is suggesting we follow God, our eyes and ears are toward the speaker, the actor. People say, what a great message, and attribute that great thing to the person on the stage. It's just what people do. If I say don't smoke when I'm smoking, what would you think? Would that message be valid? That said, I believe that there are some genuinely humble teachers who really do hope and desire their listeners to grow with God. But wanting them to grow with God is not enough. Teachers need to demonstrate. Like if I'm saying don't smoke, I shouldn't be smoking. If I'm saying get fit, I should be fit. I shouldn't be trying to tell people to go to a path that I don't even go myself. Leaders need to lead just as Jesus and apostles led disciples. 
They were imperfectly walking in the direction of perfection and truth and sincerity. There is a demonstration in the Bible, and then there is what the world does. They are different, and they bring very different results. Jesus discipled a dozen. He lived with them. This is not the commonly understood way we do it today. The disciples went out and stayed in people's homes. They did not have homes or belongings. They lived their life as an example of what dedication to God looks like. They got personal. And they were not fake. The society I live in today seems to welcome biblical stories, but if someone behaved as described in the stories, they would not be welcomed. If a man came to your church and called your teachers hypocrites, that man would most likely be interrupted and shut down before even considering whether the information was true. We seek order over truth. We seek familiarity more than we do new positive change. God favors reason. God favors rational discourse toward love and peace. The world favors such things as long as it does not hurt their system and force change. Jesus interrupted the world's system and how reason and discourse took place. Jesus did not set appointments with leaders to discuss things in private offices. Jesus went to where people met and spoke openly, even against teachers. Think about that. Would we welcome such a thing? What would happen if we let people interject in a disagreeable manner within our gatherings? Think about being in the church lobby and someone speaks out against the pastor's message and points out something they said that were wrong. Will we just jump in and defend them? Oh, yeah, well, they, they're nice people. I'm sure he meant it this way. What might happen is people might change their minds. There could be leadership turnover. The church system might change. Shouldn't we protect our system? We might be protecting our system from changing to be better. Either God protects it or people do. When we lay down a system of controls, we become the controlling entity instead of God. We rely on the controls we set down instead of the Spirit of God who set to guide us. If we can be sincere, listen to our hearts, use objective reasoning without thinking about protecting the way we know things, but instead look at the facts, difficult facts, and then be willing to change to what the Spirit and the facts and the reason says is a good idea. And then be willing to suffer the difficulties of change. Maybe some people will leave. Maybe we need a smaller building. Whatever to keep the spirit, the quality of the spirit, good. Check out the 12 traditions of the 12-step programs and learn how a spiritual system can work. There is a system that has demonstrated success for over 80 years without the ownership of property and buildings and things like that. We ought to kind of pay attention to that part of us that really wants to maintain the property. Is it important to God? It's been my experience that leaders and congregates do indeed seek to protect their system with good intentions and good reasons. They love their church. It's good to love each other and our meetings together, to have a place, a safe place where we can meet. That's valuable. 
but 12-step programs, they have that. Sometimes they meet 100 people. I've even seen as much as 500 people renting a building, a space. I mean, think about it. Church meets like once a week anyway, right? The big, the big mass. There are places to rent. And that place that was 500, it wasn't a church. It was a community center. I mean, it, it's available. You know, once every five years, there's this international convention of Alcoholics Anonymous that hosts anywhere from 60 to 100,000 people that meet in a football stadium. The business does not own giant properties or buildings. Back to the hypocrisy of it. Um, we can be so self-deceiving that we won't look at certain truth about this, about that sometimes we keep ourselves from saying certain things, certain truths, for fear of upsetting somebody that might get them to leave. Now, the first step out from hypocrisy may require an admission of errors. Now, what church is going to admit their errors? Can we do that openly? All people and systems have errors. To improve, we need to correct such errors. First John 1.10 If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. So if I say there's nothing wrong, everything's fine. One, it's not true. Two, by speaking in a way that's not true, the word is not in me. That's a big deal. So I need to be careful what it is I'm convincing myself to be true. Am I really fine? Is everything really okay? Or am I practicing some justifying, rationalizing techniques to make everything okay? So it is okay. When I walk into a church, everyone usually looks happy and nice. Ever sit out in a parking lot and watch people get out of their car and walk into church? They can have arguments in the car, kind of running late, they could transform so much from the car and their demeanor and how they connect with each other and look at each other, their faces. They can transform so much from the car to the front door of the church. It's amazing. This is hypocrisy. Putting on a mask and act, okay, everything's great, everything's fine. It's not. Be real. Fear of what other people think or creating confrontation are spiritual killers. Did Jesus fall victim to the poison of hypocrisy? Nope. I once experienced a friendly and respected man who attended and served at church for decades use a scripture verse to justify dishonesty. I was surprised. This guy found one story in the Bible with Rahab and used that to justify dishonesty. The point here is that we can take into our minds scripture to justify many things. In recovery, we can refer to this as yeah buts. When I used to do groups with addicts, they'd always say, yeah, but. Yeah, and here's, here's some things I've heard Christians say. Yeah, but we can't be perfect. Yeah, but I'm not Jesus. Yeah, but no one else is doing it. The yeah buts. This kind of thinking is dangerous. It stunts growth. We can't abide in Jesus while excusing ourselves from getting better. How do we discern what we should do in our own lives with our falsehood or dishonesty? Are we willing to look deep within our soul, as God certainly does, and see what God sees, or do we hope to avoid it? If we continue throughout our lives not really knowing what's going on within ourselves, 
Wouldn't that be hypocrisy? I mean, it's like, I don't know who I am, but I'm going to act like I do. When I began looking at my fear, bitterness, deception, self-seeking, and how I treated others, I didn't like what I learned. I still don't like doing it. But I know it's the truth. I know it's the way. It's the way to improvement. It's the way to correction. It's a way to be real. And that's exactly what Jesus wants me to do. So what am I going to do? I mean, I baby step it. I have some wins. I have some losses. But I have some wins. And that's key. If I'm around people and they don't have any wins or they got, they, they're not practicing this, I don't feel right. I feel like I need to be around brothers and sisters who are getting real. They're progressing. They're improving. They're seeking to be better. See, I'm still far from perfect, but I've improved a lot. How did I improve? I made very hard choices to place myself before the potter for molding. God is the potter, and I'm the clay. What kind of clay am I going to be? Rigid? Stiff? Dried? Unchangeable clay? Remember, God's not going to make me do things. God will not do it without my cooperation. And my cooperation is not an easy thing to do. I've humbled myself and sought difficult truth. I've practiced confession and repentance. You know, Bonhoeffer, I've heard, says that uh, cheap grace is grace without repentance. That costly grace, there's costly grace and cheap grace. Based on my experience, this is kind of real. You know, when I'm repenting and confessing and righting my wrongs and getting real and getting honest, it feels so much better spiritually, relationally, my soul, my confidence. It's all better. This stuff works. Ask anybody who's done it. Don't ask people who haven't done it. Because what do they know? God heals, if and only if, I choose to participate in the healing, in the grace. Letting God heal me is to begin practicing cooperation with God, is to set aside many evil practices and pick up righteous practices. My participation to abiding God's ways can position me for great healing, recovery, and improvement. This journey begins with setting aside hypocrisy, pretending, and self-deception. That means I have to see it, identify it, learn about it, find it, We must choose to set aside pretending things are okay when they are not. If I just habitually say, oh yeah, I'm fine. You know, they have a definition uh, that's said in some meetings about the word fine as an acronym. That's effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Uh, Someone mentioned that, uh, someone created this acronym and then other people identified with it and liked it and have used it, and it's still used today, and that was done like 30 years ago. So people relate to this. Fine is being fake. If I say I'm fine, I'm saying I'm okay, it's being faked. I'm not really thinking about, oh, how am I really? How do I really feel? But if we're going to be sincere and genuine and real, we've got to think about it all the time. Otherwise, we're being hypocrites. Exactly what Jesus does not want us to be. Jesus does not want us to go out unthinking about how we feel and what's going, on, what's going on inside us. We must choose to acknowledge the truth about the evil and the good within us and around us. 
Baby steps are often the goal, just as destruction is often a slow developing process, so too is the healing, purifying, and cleansing. We get better slowly with the implementation of doing good things, good righteousness. You can find out a lot more information about this at inwardauthority.com. Or even read Matthew 5-7 through chapters and then do what it says. Do it every day and evaluate yourself. Each day we can choose to position ourselves with truth about ourselves and practice the setting aside of evil and participation in God's good. We can step forward into this choice of making God our God. We can choose to give ourselves over to the potter to make us different. We can seek God's will instead of our own. So it's what we're choosing, it's what we're thinking, it's what we're seeking. We can lay down our old ways and let God renew us. With daily participation with God's good, inwardly and outwardly, we can gradually be transformed. We can experience scripture come to life within us, like 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We can be renewed day by day if we can develop the practice of giving ourselves over to God's goodness and righteousness. Let's choose to learn, think, speak, and practice God's good and righteousness today. That means we need to take time, reflect upon what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what our motives are, what are our desires, what does our brain, our faith tell us our goals are, our ambitions, our wants. What, do, what have we convinced ourselves we need, we have to have in order to feel good? Is it just the goodness of God that's good enough? Or are we relying on money, property, relationships, self-gratification, food? We can choose to be with God. We can choose this. Check out the website, www.inwardauthority.com. There's a ton of information. But the main thing is we got to bring that information into our consciousness every day for it to have an effect. And it's a slow process. Let's do it right now. Mm-hmm.